You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today, we are continuing a series we started last week called It's a Wonderful Life. And basically, during this series, what we're attempting to do is just talk about what a wonderful life looks like. What does it mean for you to have a wonderful life? Um, What does it mean for uh, you to have a wonderful life according to the standards of this world? And then according to the the standards of, of God. Because God wants you to live a wonderful life, but sometimes our world thinks a wonderful life looks different than what God does. And so... We're just exploring this idea. And so if I asked you the question, what would it take for you to have a wonderful life? You might respond like we talked about last week and say, I want to be in love. That's what a wonderful life would be as if I was in love. And that's what we looked at last week. And this weekend, we're going to look at another response. And that response is, I want to be rich. Because how many of you know you think your life would be better if you just had a little more cash, right? And some of you are lying right now. You're like, no, 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 I'm too holy for that. Somebody's playing the Powerball somebody is doing it. It's kind of like the people that go, oh, I don't eat McDonald's. That stuff's trash. It's like billions and billions of people have been eating McDonald's. So you might say you're not, but somebody is. So we want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want money. I want, I want to be able to lay on a beach somewhere. I want to be able to go on trips. I want to be able to buy stuff without wondering how much I've got in my account. I want to be able to tell my boss off because I don't need this job, right? Like these are the kind of things we think about. Does anybody remember the show back in the day? I mean, it's an old one. Like our IUP students will have no recollection of this. It's before the interwebs. There was a show when I was a young man, a little boy called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Does anybody remember that show? It would come on on Saturday afternoons when I was growing up and that was not a great time to be watching television because there was four channels and that was it. And so uh, I would watch Lifestyles of Rich and Famous as a little boy. And I remember thinking, these houses are insane. Like, can you believe this person has butlers to take care of them and cooks to cook their meals for them? And they get to just hang out and live life. And there's something about that that is appealing for us that we think, oh, I would like something like that. And really, when we think about being rich, I think it can be boiled down to kind of two primary ideas, and there's some overlap between these ideas. But the first one would be this. I want to live a life of leisure. I want a life of comfort where I can lay around and relax and rest and take it easy. That's what I want in my life. Now, if you think that is not appealing at least a little bit, you're probably lying to me and to yourself because there's something about that idea that's appealing. And we think to ourselves, maybe someday I'll be able to retire. When I retire, then I'm good. I'll just relax. I'll take it easy. I'll be able to just go at my own pace and go at my own schedule. That's one of the ideas. And then the other idea This is probably more reasonable and this is probably where most of us are living our lives today. The idea is this, I don't wanna worry about money. I'm tired of being stressed about my bills. I'm tired of being anxious about, am I gonna have enough money to buy Christmas gifts? Where are we gonna get the money to pay for this car that's broken down? Where are we gonna get the money for whatever it might be? 
And for many of us, we live with a high level of stress and anxiety when it comes to the area of our finances. What we see statistically is the average American lives on 101% of their income. That means they are literally spending more money than they bring in. This is a cause of stress for us. So when we talk about things like the Powerball, the reality is if you won the Powerball and you're living on 101% of your income, it's not going to fix your problem. Because the problem isn't your income, the problem is your consumption. We're consuming more than we bring in. And, And as a result, if we bring in more money, we're just going to consume more stuff. So the problem isn't that we are, we are, at a deficit or lacking income, the problem is we're consuming too much. And we think if I just had a little more money, it would fix it. If I just, if I just made $10,000 more a year, I would be fine. If I just had this, I would be okay. And really at the core of all these things that we're talking about, whether it's living a life of leisure or being out from under the weight of stress and anxiety of money, really at the core of both these things are this this fundamental idea that I want to be free. I just want to be free. I want to be free to live my life the way I want, but I want to be free of this anxiety and, and this fear and this dread about my finances. The, the tension we live with whenever the, the money runs out, but our paycheck hasn't come yet. I want to be free. And Jesus talks a lot about, he talks a lot about money. He talks a lot about possessions. He talks a lot about our stuff because I think he knew it was so central to who we are. It was such a, such a big part of our identity. And so there's one section of scripture specifically I want to share with you today. We're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 12. So I'm going to start in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And Jesus was preaching. A group of people were there. And in verse 13, it says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. (laughs) What a weird thing to say in the middle of a message. Now, we don't know what he was talking about. He probably wasn't talking about how to divide your father's estate up, though. It probably wasn't, you know, pertinent to what he was preaching about. And he calls out and says, Hey, my brother needs to divide up the inheritance with me, essentially. Now, when we think of this, we think specifically of uh, our culture. In our culture, there is um, inheritances, and there are executors for wills and things like that. So this is the context by which we think about this idea. But in Hebrew culture, in in Jewish law, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 21, actually, you can find there is, according to Hebrew law, that the eldest son, the firstborn son, actually gets the double portion of the inheritance. So it was split up evenly among the children, except for the oldest son. He gets twice as much as the, as the individual child would get. And the reason is, is because there's this principle of the firstborn and the first fruit, that the firstborn would carry the blessing, that the, the first fruit is important because it carries the blessing, it determines the rest. So even with our giving, when we talk about the first fruits of our giving, according to scripture, um, there is a blessing attached to that first fruit. As we give the first, there is a blessing attached to it. Now I'm the baby of the family and I think there's a special blessing on the last fruit, but that's just me. I'm just throwing that out there. And so according to Hebrew law, the eldest child would have a double portion. Now we don't know the context. We don't know the history. We don't know what's going on in this man's heart and life. Um, we could guess, we could, 
speculate, but we don't know. But Jesus knew this particular fact, that if this person who called out was not the oldest, then he's saying, hey, he needs to divide this up evenly. We need to be even Stephen. This needs to be fair. And Jesus could have said, okay, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's dive into this. Was your brother not around when your parents were dying and you're the one who took care of him? Well, that's fair. Then you should. He doesn't say that. He doesn't get into specifics. In fact, he probably gives him an answer that's unsatisfying for the man who called out. Verse 14, Jesus replies and says, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? He basically says, that's not my area of expertise. I'm not, I'm not the one who should be judging those kind of things. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. He takes this as an opportunity to go, hey, let's talk about this issue together. Let's talk about this, this situation. That it's not about you getting the inheritance and making it even. And he said, I'm concerned about your heart. I want you to guard your heart against greed. And he's talking not just to this man, but to the group. And he says, life is made up of so much more than our stuff. We think life is about what we own or what we have or what we earn. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Life is bigger than that. And, and it's interesting because he says, beware, guard your heart against every kind of greed. And this man, all he said was, tell my brother to split up the inheritance. And what Jesus was saying is, hey, you, you got your portion. Why do you think you deserve more, essentially? And he takes this moment to talk about this issue of our heart. And he says, life is more than what you own. Life is more valuable and it's richer than the things you have and the money you earn. He goes on to say in verse, um, in verse 16, then he told them a story. And I love what Jesus does because he will share a principle, then he'll illustrate it with a story. He'll tell a story about it. And I had a, a woman one time years and years ago, she said, Mel, I like Summit. I just don't like your preaching very much. I'm like, wow, thank you so much. I, that's so edifying. I needed to hear that. Thank you. And she said, the problem is you tell too many stories. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, you tell too many stories. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read what Jesus does? Like he's not just quoting the book of Isaiah over and over and over. Like he's telling stories. So he shares biblical truth and then he tells stories. And so um, I love what he does because he tells stories because he does this to help illustrate for the people that are listening and try to help them apply it to their lives. So then he tells a story in verse 16. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And this is where we pause and go, that's kind of the American dream where we go, hey, I'm gonna work like crazy and then I'm gonna have a pension or I'm gonna have a retirement and I'm just gonna take it easy. I'm gonna go sit on a beach and drink a Mai Tai. I'm gonna move to Boca. I'm gonna do something where I can just take it easy and live my life according to my rules, right? Remember what we said, I wanna be free. That's freedom. We think that's what's important. And we look at this guy and we go, 
well done, man. He worked really hard and he earned this. He deserved it. But that's not how God responds. Listen to the next verse. It says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And the answer is his ungrateful kids are gonna get everything you worked for and they're gonna blow it on stupid stuff. So why did God respond this way and call him a fool? Well, I think there are a couple reasons that are implied here and we unpack this together. But one of them is because I think this man was relying on himself. He said, I'm strong, I'm intelligent, I work hard, I've got this great business and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sock away enough, I'm gonna squirrel away enough that I'm gonna be comfortable. And I know that I can take care of myself in this moment. I know I can provide for myself and look out for myself. And my goal is that someday I'm just gonna be able to eat, drink, and be merry. And here's the thing. He was living the life that we talked about at the beginning. I just wanna live a life of leisure. I wanna be able to sit on a beach, be comfortable. I, I don't want any rules. I just wanna live my life and relax. And, and here's the problem with that. Because what we don't see in scripture anywhere is that we are supposed to be people who live lives of leisure. We see often that we're supposed to be people of rest, but here's the difference. When I rest, as the Bible mandates we do on a weekly basis in a Sabbath, when, when I rest my body, there's a purpose behind it. And the purpose behind rest is to restore me to do what God is calling me to do, to live out his purposes for my life. The goal of leisure is to consume. I'm gonna consume and this is about me and what I have and what I get and what I need and this is all about me. But what we see in scripture is we're supposed to rest and our rest is not about us. Our rest is about what it's preparing us to do for God's kingdom moving forward. So when we are saying, I wanna live a life of leisure, what we're really saying is I wanna consume. I just wanna get and take and receive and I've done my part, now I'm gonna live the good life. And we don't see this this principle biblically anywhere. As a, as a mature Christian or aspiring mature Christian, I've got to understand that, that my life will change, but God's purpose for me doesn't change. My youngest daughter, Emma, asked me, she said, Daddy, how long do you think you, you'll work before you retire? And I said, baby, I'm going to work the rest of my life. My work is going to change. There will be a day that I am not fit to be the pastor of Summit Church anymore, where I age, um, my senility, my whatever it is will get the best of me, and I will not be able to fulfill the role of that job anymore. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot of roles that people that are senile shouldn't be in. That's another message for another day. I gotta be careful, guard my heart, guard my heart. But I said, God's purpose for me will not be fulfilled. So even after I'm not the pastor of Summit anymore, I'm still gonna have a purpose for my life that's directed and driven by God. And there's never gonna be a day where I just go, well, I'm done spiritually, now I can just consume. And if that's our attitudes, we are wrong. And I think there's something even sinful about having this kind of attitude. And this man, he had purpose in his heart, this is what I'm gonna do. And here's the thing. When someone has purpose, they're going to have a rich life, no matter how much money they have in their bank account. And when we live a life without purpose, other than self-fulfillment, then we're not rich no matter how much money is in our bank account. 
And this man appeared to be rich in every way, but he was not. And listen to what it says in verse 21. Then Jesus responds. He tells this story, and then he says this. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That's hard. Why do we work so hard to store up earthly wealth? But we work so little to store up heavenly wealth? We will give God all of our spare time if we feel like it. We'll give him some spare money if we feel like it. We'll give him some spare emotion or thought or bandwidth, whatever it is, if we feel like it. But we give so much of our life to building up earthly wealth, to getting more, acquiring more. That should tell us something about the condition of our own hearts. Think about some of the wealthiest people in the world. Think about people like Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, some of the wealthiest people in America. We would look at them and say, man, these people are wise. They are smart. They're intelligent. They're successful. They have a wonderful life. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say that at all. In fact, Jesus calls them fools. I want to read it again. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And we are endeavoring to succeed at foolishness. We we wanna be wildly successful in the world and be marginally successful in our relationship with God. Well, I wanna go to heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't wanna go to hell, but I I don't wanna be rich because I wanna be comfortable. I don't wanna worry about my bills. We're endeavoring to the wrong things. We're aspiring to the wrong things. It reminds me of Mark 8.36 where Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? There's no profit in this at all. The problem is we're rich at the wrong things. Our bank accounts might look good, but our soul is empty. We're comfortable because we have all the trappings, all the stuff. I've got a vacation house. My kids are in all the sports. I don't have to worry about a thing. My life is good. But we are endeavoring so little to please God and know him intimately. We've got to be careful because we can be rich the wrong things and become foolish. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 12 says this. Then turning, so he's addressing the crowd. He's addressing the man who spoke out. And then he turns to his disciples and Jesus said this. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Now, when we read this verse, I know you immediately think of me because I'm concerned about having enough food to eat and the right clothes to wear. Clearly, I'm concerned about wearing the right clothes. I want to be in style all the time. I'm a slave to fashion, as you can tell. and I don't struggle to find a meal. Somehow I'm gonna scrape together some food to eat today. You can tell that hasn't been an issue for me in the past, right? But do you know what Jesus is talking about here? He he says to his disciples, he said, this is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry about what's gonna happen. Don't don't worry about these things. And that's so easy to say and so hard to do because we worry a lot. We are professional Warriors. 
We worry about everything. We worry about our finances. We worry about our country. We worry about our health. I think the interwebs have not made our lives better in this regard because you you find a, a little bump on your body and you go to WebMD and now you've got stage four cancer, right? I'm sure this is what it is. Do you know what you're doing? You're worrying. Go see a professional. Let them help you out. But here's the thing. Last week I asked the question, do you love me? This is the fundamental question that kind of springs from our heart. Do you love me? And we're looking for this. And this week I think there's another fundamental question that kind of springs up from our heart. And I think that question is this, who's going to take care of me? We can answer this question lots of different ways. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our family that takes care of us. The the man who spoke out at the beginning of this passage, he was looking for his inheritance from his family to take care of him. Maybe it's your employer. My employer is going to take care of me. That's where I get paid. That's, I've got my retirement there. I've got my pension, my 401k. I've got my, my health insurance. My employer takes care of me. Maybe, maybe you're one of the people that say the government will take care of you. <laughs> I, um, I'm reminded this last week, I, I read an old quote by Ronald Reagan, who said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Some of us rely on the government to take care of us. But the reality is, for most of us, the answer to that question, who's going to take care of me, is me. I'm going to take care of me. Nobody else is going to take care of me, so I've got to do it for myself. I've got to look out for myself. I've got to protect myself. I've got to provide for myself. I've got to do it. And there's so much stress and pressure that comes with having to take care of yourself. In fact, Jesus said, that's why I tell you don't worry, not to worry about everyday life. But we do worry, don't we? And one of the things I've realized is that we often worry about things when we're responsible for those things. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. In my last church, it was a much larger church than Summit. Um, I had a bigger staff that I had to manage than here at Summit, but I never worried ever. And part of the reason I never worried is because I wasn't the senior pastor. I was responsible for people, but I didn't worry because at the end of the day, I had a pastor and that pastor, <laughs> his name was signed to the mortgage. We had a $9 million mortgage and I forget the payment was $80,000 a month or something crazy like that. I never worried about it. I didn't stress about it. I never lost a night of sleep because I wasn't responsible for it. Now I cared, I was concerned. I I believed in, I wanted the best for, but I never worried because I wasn't responsible for it. Now I'm the pastor of Summit Church and I still don't worry, but there's a level of concern I have sitting in the seat I'm in that I never had before. I'll give you another example. My girls are great. I love Abby and Emma. I'm grateful for them. And Emma is in Blairsville today with you guys. But my girls, they don't worry about money. My daughters, um, I'm not exaggerating. I can look at Life 360, like after school's out, I wonder where they're at. There is about a 50% chance that Emma's going to be at Dunkin' Donuts. I just, I sense it in the spirit. And I can look and be like, oh, there she is. 
And I, I don't know for sure, I haven't asked her, but I can say with a high level of certainty that very rarely would my daughter drive through the drive-through at, at Dunkin' Donuts and hand them her debit card and wonder if there was gonna be money on it. Like, <gasps> I hope it clears. She probably doesn't worry about it. Do you know why? Because I take care of it. I'm paying for her coffee. It's amazing how generous she is with other people with my money. She's like, oh, I took care of, I bought their coffee for them. You, I, you mean I bought their coffee for them? It's shocking how generous she can be with what I've given her. She doesn't worry about it. Neither one of my girls lay in bed at night wondering if we're gonna take care of the mortgage this month. Are they gonna be able to make it? No, they don't have to worry because they're not responsible. I'm responsible. I take care of it. Because I take care of it, they don't have to worry. Now they've got other things they worry about, but they don't have to worry about this stuff because I'm the one who's responsible. So my question to you is, if you're worried about things, you have to ask yourself, why do I feel responsible for that? Because there's things we worry about that we're not responsible for. Why is it that I feel like I'm in charge of that? Why, is it, why do I feel like if I don't do my part, that's gonna fall through? And here's what I've found. I believe we become slaves to the one who provides for us. Now you might push back on me, but let me explain. Let's go back to my earlier example of the government. Whatever our source is, we become a slave to. So if our source is the government, we become a slave to the government. Here's how. I had a couple sitting in my office years ago and lovely couple, they've been together for a long time. And if you're in this situation, I want you to know I love you and I care about you, but I'm gonna speak truth to you right now. If you are living together and you're cohabitating and you're not married, you're living in sin and God can't bless your relationship because God can't bless something he forbids. And so there was a couple sitting in my office and we were talking and they were living together. And I just said, well, if you love each other and you know you wanna spend the rest of your life together, why aren't you married? And they looked at each other and then she looked at me and said, well, if we get married, I'll lose my government benefits. I said, what was that? And she said, my benefits are more if I'm a single mom than it is if we are married. And I said, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think this is wrong? Yes, but. Okay. And in that moment, they were slaves to the government because the government was their source. And they acknowledged, we know what the word of God says. We know that this isn't the best way, but. And what they were saying is, I'm a slave to my source. I can't do what I know God is telling me to do because my source. What about your job? Now, I don't know this for sure, but I would be willing to bet a dollar bill that somebody in this church or in Blairsville or watching online at some point has felt the Holy Spirit nudge them in their heart toward ministry. Not everybody is called to vocational ministry where you go on staff at a church or work in a nonprofit or move overseas as a missionary. Not everybody is called to that. So that's not for everybody. But I would be willing to bet that somebody at some point has felt the Holy Spirit move in them and they've gone, 
I think I'm supposed to do ministry. I think I'm supposed to go to seminary. I think I'm supposed to move overseas and be a missionary. And they haven't. And part of the reason why they haven't is because their job is too good. I mean, my pay is pretty good. You see my benefits package. And what you're saying is, Mel, I I would be obedient to what God's telling me to do, but my pay's too good. What you're saying is I'm a slave to my source. I can't be obedient to God because money. Because I gotta pay the bills. What about your family? Has anybody ever heard in your life, or maybe you've said these words, As long as you live under my roof and you eat my food, has anybody ever heard that or said that before? Oh, you liars. I have, I've heard it and said it. Do you know what the the sentiment is? I am providing for you so you have to do what I'm telling you to do. And the idea is true, you are a slave to your source. There are things that our parents influence to do or not do, and I think their intentions are right, But I know well-intentioned parents that have steered their kids away from ministry and steered their kids away from things of God because they were concerned about their future. They were concerned about their money. They were, I get it, I get it. But then their their kids are locked in because we're slaves to our source. Whatever our source is, we're slaves to. And Jesus understood this principle. He understood that you are a slave to your source, that you're you're going to be obedient. You're going to go against the word of God because we are slaves to our source. Luke chapter 12, verse 24, it says, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, What's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown out into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus compares us to ravens and lilies in this moment. I know people who have set up bird feeders at their house and I haven't met a single person who's like, yeah, we set up this bird feeder because we really want to see more ravens around. We're trying to attract the ravens because ravens are looked at many times as nuisance birds. They don't want ravens around. But Jesus said, hey, these nuisance birds that nobody wants, God still takes care of them. And he says, think about these flowers. And he's not talking about flowers that we cultivate. He's talking about flowers that spontaneously spring up in the wild. And he said, they are here today and they're gone tomorrow, but they're taken care of. They never worry about their next meal, how they're gonna survive, how they're gonna make it. Now we're comparing apples to oranges because we are obviously not like ravens and lilies, but the, the sentiment is still true. Why do we worry so much about what's going to happen? Why are we so consumed with, are we going to make it? Are we going to have enough? Because they are provided for. And it comes back to this question that we asked before, who's going to take care of me? 
And he says in verse 28, 28, and if God cares so wonderfully for flowers, he will certainly care for you. And he follows it up with this question, why do you have so little faith? And what a, I used to read this as confronting, like confrontational. Like, why do you have so little faith? Oh, ye of little faith. Thankfully, Jesus isn't like me. <laughs> and I think Jesus was asking this question with compassion. And he asked the question and he says, you, you don't get it. You don't see how good our father is. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you struggle so hard to understand this truth that God will take care of his people? And the, the question is true for us today. Why, why do you have so little faith? Why do I have so little faith? Why do I struggle when I ask the question, who's going to take care of me to believe that God will take care of me? Verse 29, he says this, don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about what to eat or drink. And he said, these thoughts dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. So here's what he says. What does it mean to have a wonderful life? The world says, I want to be rich. And when we follow that mindset, what it leads to is worry and fear and anxiety because we are responsible. I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible for taking care of myself. I'm responsible for my happiness. I'm responsible for my freedom. All these things. But that's not the case. He says, the world is dominated by that thinking, but you don't have to be. In fact, what he says is, your father already knows your needs. He already knows exactly what you need. He's anticipating it already. And then he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Put God's kingdom above your kingdom and he'll give you everything you need. He doesn't say everything you want, everything on your Christmas wish list, doesn't say you're going to get that car that you dreamed of, the house that you dreamed. That's not what it says at all. But it says when you prioritize God's kingdom instead of your kingdom, when you say, hey, I'm going to invert this the way it should be, God, I'm going to put you first in my life, not just in my salvation, because it's easy to believe God to save us from hell, but it's hard for us to allow God to be Lord of our lives and go, God, every part of my life is yours, including my finances, including my stuff including my consumption of things. But what Jesus says is when we put God's kingdom first, he will take care of everything we need. What it's basically saying is, God, you're responsible. I'm not responsible, you're responsible. God, I can trust you in the same way that Emma can swipe her card at Dunkin' Donuts with no fear. We can move forward in our lives with no fear going, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know my God's got it. I know my heavenly father is good. I know he's responsible. I'm not responsible. So I'm going to have everything I need. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to trust him. And he says this in verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock. I love this. When he calls them a little flock, this is a, a term of endearment. 
He's, he basically calls them sheep and he's caring for them like a shepherd cares for the sheep. And he says, don't be afraid for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So don't be afraid. Don't worry how you're gonna be provided for or taken care of because God wants to take care of you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience with my girls. Um, they tend to tell me at the last minute, especially when my girls were younger, um, junior high and high school, my girls would say to me like at 10.30 on a Tuesday night, I need $37 tomorrow or I can't go on this trip or I need money for this. And be like, what? Why didn't you, how long have you known about this? I found out five minutes ago. And you're like, you're lying to me right now. <laughs> they told you about this two months ago. You forgot till right now. And so, dad, please, I need this money. Well, I don't have the cash. I got to go to the ATM and get cash. And it's got to be exact change because they don't make change. And so I will do something like this. Dad, could you please? And I'll go, oh. and I will put on some pants and get dressed and I'll go to the ATM, do what I need to do. And then when I bring it to him, I'm delivering it to him, but it's kind of like here. And what I'm implying is you owe me now. I did something for you. I went out of my way for you. I took care of this need for you. So now you owe me. And I'm glad our heavenly father is not like me. Because our Heavenly Father never looks at us that way. Whenever we bring a need to God, he never goes, because ah. we never put him out. In fact, it brings him great happiness to give you the kingdom. That's his heart for us. So why do you have so little faith? Why is it so hard for us to trust God, a God who wants to help us and wants to provide for our needs and wants us to succeed in the things he wants us to succeed in? I think it's hard for us to let go of this idea, who's gonna take care of me? Because we're so used to trying to take care of ourselves, provide for ourselves. But what is the answer to that? Your father. Your father will take care of you. He's got you. In fact, not only will he take care of you, he wants to. It brings him joy to take care of your needs, but he can't take care of your needs if he's not your source. He only does that when he is your source. This is one of the reasons why back when we went through 2 Peter together a few weeks ago, Peter at the beginning, he says, I, Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as a slave. Do you know why Peter could do that? Because Jesus was his source. See, we're a slave to our source, whether it's the government or our job or our family, whatever our source is, we are a slave to that source. But if Jesus is our source, we become slaves to Christ. But this is where we find freedom. Because in Christ Jesus, if Jesus is my source, I'm free of anxiety about how am I gonna make it? I don't have to worry about it. I'm not responsible. Jesus is my source. How am I going to get through this? I don't have to worry about it. My father's going to provide for us and take care of us. See, true freedom is found when we understand that God is our provider. You'll find freedom beyond what you've ever dreamed you could have when you prioritize the kingdom of heaven, when you put God first in your life.
not just in word, not just in occasional church attendance, but in your whole life. And you go, God, even my finances are yours. You say the word and whatever it is, I'll be obedient to you. I'm gonna put your kingdom first. He will take care of all of your needs. Then in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, it says this. Jesus finishes with this statement. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. And wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. <laughs> See, some of you who are skeptical about church and you think preachers just want your money, you're like, oh, here it is. Here it is. So let me present this to you this way. What Jesus is saying is, hey, here's something practical to do. This is a discipline for your heart that's going to bring your heart into alignment with the kingdom of heaven. So when we say, seek first the kingdom of God, this is where we say, hey, I'm gonna do something practical, a discipline in my own life to bring my heart into alignment with heaven. And what he says is, Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Now, I'm not advocating that we all liquidate our retirements and we all sell all of our stuff and we all move to a commune out in the middle of nowhere and we'll be a bunch of, like, just a cult. Let's go do it. Who's with me? Like, that's not what we're saying. It'd be a little concerning. What he's saying is you need to do something to discipline your heart in the area of your finances. And this is why for us, we talk about the tithe. It's the first 10% of our finances. And we designate that and go, hey God, this first 10th, the first fruit is yours. I honor you, I trust you. Is it easy to do that? No, but it's a discipline for my heart to go, hey, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna trust you and believe that you are my provider. You're gonna take care of me. And so for you, Maybe it's taking a step financially and going, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you with my finances. As a church, in the spring, we will offer a, a group called Financial Peace University. I would encourage you. It's a great small group to get connected with to begin to order your finances in a way that can bring glory to God. And there are baby steps along the way that you can take so that it'll help you get into the right place to align your values with God. But at the end of the day, it comes back to our heart. And it comes back to this question, who is your source? Because you are a slave to your source. Whatever the answer is for you, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will confront you lovingly and gently and lead you in the right spot. Having God as our source and putting the kingdom of heaven first really begins with us in our own lives, surrendering our hearts to Jesus and saying yes to him. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Before I do that, I want to turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're going to close out our time together. They're going to give you a chance to respond. I love you guys very much. I'm glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So I just want to give you an opportunity to respond today. I believe the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts and working in your lives. And he's the one who brings conviction on us. So if you're feeling a little tension in your own heart today, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he's doing today. So I just want to ask you to surrender to that and say yes to whatever it is he's asking you to do. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray all over this place together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good. Thank you that no matter what our earthly fathers have looked like, you are a good father that can be trusted. 
Lord, maybe there are people here who, who couldn't trust their father, whose father didn't provide for them. But Lord, I know that you are a good father who, who takes great joy in providing for his children. So Lord, today, I pray that our hearts would trust you. Lord, when we are struggling, I pray that we would ask ourselves, why is it so hard for me to trust? Why do I have so little faith? I pray that we'd say yes to you in every way, not just in the area of our finances, but in every area of our lives that we would hold on to our lives loosely so that you can do what you wanna do. God, I pray that you'd help us in our own hearts to put you first and put your kingdom first above all else, above our kingdom, above our plans, above our will. And I pray as we do, God, our hearts would come into alignment with your kingdom that we would know how good it is to be your son or daughter. And I pray that we would experience what it means for you to provide for us and take care of us and give us what we need as we trust you as our source. So God, forgive us for trusting in other things and help us put our whole trust in you today. Now, nobody's looking around with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here and you say, Mel, I know I'm not really serving God. I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I wanna be, I wanna surrender my life to God today. I wanna put his kingdom first. I'm tired of trying to take care of myself. I'm exhausted with worry and anxiety and I can't do this anymore. So I wanna surrender my life to Jesus today. Whether it's for the first time or today you wanna make a recommitment to Christ. I just wanna ask you, if that's you, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thanks on my left. Thank you, ma'am, I see you on my left as well. Who else would say, Mel, that's me, pray for me today. Yeah, thank you on my right. Yeah, up in the balcony, I see you, thank you. Yeah, and a couple more hands in the balcony, I see you. Two hands raised, that's awesome, praise God. Anyone else, just a few more seconds, you'd say, Mel, pray for me, include me in this prayer. Yeah, thanks, ma'am, I see you on my right. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. It's a prayer of a surrender and it's a prayer of repentance to God. And I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this isn't my prayer, this is your prayer. So I want you to pray this prayer from your heart to God today. Everyone in the place, say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. You are my source. Thank you that I can be your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause? Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that with us today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And so we wanna help you in your new journey. We wanna help you walk with God. And so please help us help you with that. The simplest thing for you to do would be to fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and then stop by our next step table out in the lobby when we finish here in just a moment. It's by the main doors. Stop by there. Somebody from our team would love to help you, resource you and point you in the right direction. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you prefer, simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and let us know about your decision today. And if you're here in the room and you do that, please, in addition to that, stop by the table and let us visit with you and let us help you take the next step. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Uh, we're gonna sing a final song together. And while we're singing this song, some of our prayer team is gonna be available. And we'd love to pray for you no matter what your need is today, no matter what you're dealing with or going through today, we would be honored to pray for you. 
And so our team's gonna be available during this final song. And then even after the song is over and we're dismissed, our team's gonna stick around and we would love to pray for you. So please don't let shame or embarrassment or fear keep you from stepping out of your seat because your miracle might be waiting for you today at the front of this room. So don't, don't rob yourself of that opportunity to let God work in your life just because you were a little nervous about what people might think about you. So let us pray for you. Why don't you stand to your feet as we sing this last song and celebrate our good God together. Guys, I love you all so very much and I am honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome day. We'll see you next weekend. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.